morning, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, in the book of Mark, uh, what true greatness means. Now, in our culture, in our tradition, we have the goats, right? The greatest of all time. And some of these are debatable, and I'm just going to go through some of them. And Ryan Kennedy, I wish your wife was here. Tom Brady is now considered a goat in football, one of the greatest of all time. And she would cringe right now, text her, let her know we were thinking about her. She can't stand Tom Brady. Um, some of you in the basketball realm would look at Michael Jordan, number 23, a Tar Heel guy who ended up playing and landed in the Bulls as the greatest of all times. And now some of the younger people would view LeBron James as being that. And LeBron James has like, huh? Some people are saying no. That's fine. This is all, that's all fine. But LeBron has seen the need to rise up more and has taken an unbelievable amount of money to go to the Lakers to increase his goat worthiness. Um, you have Muhammad Ali who always told you who the greatest was, right? He's, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. We had Martina in the tennis world, Martina Navratilova, who played tennis. And now you got the Williams sisters who play. Some amazing people. In, in the uh, thinking world, you had Albert Einstein. Uh, just amazing mind. Roger Federer and the male lacrosse thing. I mean, the, uh, lacrosse. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's rackets with little weaving in it. Just got me locked there. Um, but Roger Federer, at an older age in tennis, is still holding his own. Martin Luther King, in many ways, when it comes to certain parts of the, the, the movement that happened there, was greatest. Now we're in the World Cup area, Pele. Who remembers Pele? You know, the older people would go, definitely Pele was the greatest of all time. But then there's arguments, and so the story goes is that Ronaldo called himself the greatest of all times. You all know who he plays for Brazil, right? Ronaldo, he's happy y'all don't know. It's really called football. It's the real football, but I won't go there. Um, but Ronaldo said that he was sent from God to show the world how to play soccer. So then they went to Messi, who is also believed to be the greatest. They said, this is what Ronaldo said. And Messi said, I don't remember ever sending him. So he was, he, he was saying that he was God and that he sent Ronaldo to Brazil to show them how to play. You know, in the, in the religious circles, you got Mother Teresa. You know, and, and all these things, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. And in our culture... We look up to those things. We look up to the people who are the greatest in it. And some of us, quite frankly, covet the abilities and the recognition some of these people have. You know, I remember a time when I would hear certain preachers preach, and I'd be like, man, I just wish I could preach like them. And probably more so, I just probably wanted a little of the notoriety that they got. You know, you just wanted to be something that you're not. Um, and it's no different in the disciples' time. The disciples we're going to see were walking along the road talking about who was the greatest. And what we're going to talk about this morning is that um, the way that Jesus divides the thinking so sharply 
is in the area of greatness, what true greatness is. His teaching on greatness diverges from the world. It diverges from what we maybe as mostly Americans in here consider greatness. Maybe like the cowboy riding in, taking in the territory, finding new things. That's greatness. Jesus says no. And he's going to wrestle with his disciples. And I plan on wrestling with you this morning in the aspect of what true greatness is. Uh, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. So they went on from there, and they passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. So get this moment. He's, they're walking with him. He's already told them that there's going to be some bad things happening, that there was going to be suffering taking place. He crystal clear says the Son of Man is going to be delivered and that he will be killed. Just imagine being with someone on the road, and he says all that, and when he is killed, three days he will rise. So that would bring in some great speculation for me. I would think that that would stir my mental thought of is what's real important here? Man, Jesus who we've been following is saying that he's going to be taken by people, pulled away, and, and beaten and all that stuff, and suffer, but then he's going to raise in three days. That's crazy. But listen to this, verse 32. But they did not understand the saying... And were afraid to ask him, who is the greatest? And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Imagine walking with Jesus. I, wanna, I just got a sense, and maybe it's because I've really been pouring into what this means, that we have allowed so much of the world to just ooze in to our systems. Just pour in to tell us what's great, to tell us what joy and where joy can be found. It just sort of oozes in. And, and when Jesus is speaking to us, we don't even understand when he says that you need to do some of these things. We don't even understand it. We don't even hear it. And so what are they to do? They don't understand what he just said. And instead of going, hey, Jesus, what did you mean by that? they began to wonder who is going to be the greatest in heaven. Now, have you ever seen, um, I mean, some of you guys know what it's like to maybe you played a sport, maybe there's something you're really good at, maybe you're a really good shot with a firearm, maybe you're just a wonderful mechanic, maybe you can uh, sew like none other, and you, you get around a group of people, you're like, I am good at this. I'm a real good fisherman. I am a real good this. And it begins to become a, a competition. Who's the greatest, right? Like, who can, who can shoot ball the best? And, you know, some of you tall people, you know, you think you're the George, I'm going to pick on you. you, know, you you're, he's one of the big ball players in here. But some of you, you do things and you think you're good at it. And it becomes, what am I going to be known for? What is going to make me great in heaven? You ever given that thought? What's Jesus going to say about you? And it goes into this, what do I have to do 
to be great. What does true greatness mean? So Jesus comes to them knowing the answer, mind you. And he goes, hey, what were you talking about? Just imagine the shame. You're, you're busy talking about who's going to be the number one seat in heaven. Who's going to be the goat in heaven beside Jesus. And in the end, it's like we're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus is talking about his death. And he's talking about the question, what is greatness? Now look up here. It said, greatness in God's economy is not reserved for the gifted and privileged. Rather, it presents itself to every believer in the common and simple task of serving others. Greatness in God's economy, not the world's economy, is not reserved for gifted. Well, you might go, I'm not a gifted speaker, or I'm not a gifted evangelist, or I'm not gifted at this. And maybe you have a negative view of yourself where you just say, I'm not gifted at anything, and you're sort of the Eeyore Christian, woe with me, I'm just not good at anything. Oh, poor me. And so you're over here, and then you got the, I've got it all together, Christian. Look at me. Look at me. You ever seen a kid do that? When they score a goal, you ever watch the little kid soccer stuff or football? And they score a goal and you think it was the World Cup tournament. And they run around and it's like they're the ones going, go! You know, they're running around screaming, they're all excited. And so we have a Christian world of disciples full of some who think they have no gifting and are woe with me. And, and, and we're in somewhere in the spectrum and then over here, you think you're God's gift to the world. And I'm not saying that's anyone here particularly. You think you got it all together, but God's economy is different. It doesn't rest on gifts, but the giver. It doesn't rest on privileges. It doesn't rest on how much money you have in your bank account. It doesn't rest on what kind of job you have. And I think we bought into that, that unless my finances and unless my job gives me a certain level then I am not really good enough and you can pay yourself in the world. But let me tell you, there is always someone better. LeBron hates it that everyone views Jordan as the best. I view Jordan as the best, just so you know. But there's always someone better. And think of the thousands, if not how, I don't know, how many, tens of thousands of basketball players that will never achieve that goal. So my, my thing is in here, there is, we're all amongst one another, like the disciples, on the journey. And get this, they're on the journey to Jerusalem for Christ to die. I want to interpose to you that right now, I believe that we are on a journey, Oasis, of dying to ourselves of not dying and being miserable, but dying and not believing what the world's economy has to say, not believing what we have to have or attain, but believing that Jesus' word is true and that I'm going to follow after him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and I will say you are worth it all. I will proclaim you are worth it all. And I just, I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I just didn't feel that this morning as we were singing. It was a bit like 
second day meatloaf. <laughs> Some might say it's better, but I, I think it's because there's a tension in our souls. There's just war going on with what brings joy and happiness, what makes greatness for me. Who defines greatness? Greatness in Christ's kingdom is a matter of sacrifice, not superiority. Greatness in God's kingdom is a matter of sacrifice, not superiority. Do you believe that? Greatness is based on sacrifice. We've been told win, win, win. Got to win. King of the mountain. You ever play that when you were a kid? I threw some kids off that top of that sand hill when I was small. I hurt some kids. I wanted to be king of the hill. We also played this game with a football. I'm not going to say it now because it's not appropriate. But uh, we would smear some people. And they had the football and we were nailing them. We were hurting people because we wanted to be the best. But greatness in God's kingdom involves sacrifice, not superiority. Verse 34. But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. He must be last of all, and servant of all. This means that no task is too little for a Christian. I got challenged with that this week at the beach. I didn't handle it completely right internally. Um, we had some ill people and, and we were trying to take care of. And it became a thing of instead of saying, hey, Eric, go, can you go do this for me? Like one of the comments was, my glasses are dirty. And, and there was not grace and passion, concern poured out of me. I'm like, okay. You know, I was like, just ask. My glasses are dirty. Would you please clean them? Sure, I'd be happy to. But my economy was, you have to ask me in the way that I will lovingly go and serve you. Then another person, hey, I'm getting ready to get up and get a blanket because it's cold. Okay. Because it's cold in here. Okay, would you go get me that blanket? And with the joy of Jesus Christ, I went over and got that blanket. You know, I'm studying to preach at the church about being the least of these and being a servant to all. And this is a great moment for me to express that to you. And I went in the other room and I was like, oh, Eric, Eric, Eric. <laughs> Definitely not the greatest. <laughs> if anyone would be first, 
he must be last of all and servant of all. Verse 36. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This does not mean that all adults are supposed to act childish. This is not, some people translate this, that we just got to have this complete childlessness about it. No, but what it means is that we are to be like Jesus who embraces the children. We are to be the ones who embrace the needy and those who are weaker. 1 Corinthians 14.20 actually says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Literally, some Christians take this prior verse and go, we just got to be childlike. We don't have to study anything. We're just going to be little children and come and play a twister with Jesus. No. We have to be children, do not have to be children of thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Said another way, in your desire to experience sin, be childlike, have not experienced it yet. Some of us had some stages of innocence where we didn't see these things. Sorry about that. Um, and, but in evil, but in your thinking be mature. How we think has to be mature. Did, were the disciples mature when they're arguing about who's the greatest? This story's for them. Oh, you know, and, and what we tend to do is we, 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 we always focus on what we're good at. And we tend to criticize other people who aren't good at what we're good at. I mean, I just <laughs> recently had a friend as a mechanic. None of you people that are here, just so don't get offended. You know, it's like, you know, telling me something. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Well, why don't you? I'm not a mechanic. You know, some people are really good with their financials and everything. Well, why don't you do this? I'm not good at it. You know, and so we tend to work on our strengths. And so if we're strong on something, we can stand on an ivory tower and look down and go, well, why don't you do this and you do this? Well, the fact is, all of us need to have our thinking be mature and not focused on our weaknesses, not focusing on our strength, but focusing on Jesus Christ who had to suffer and die, who said that serving is true greatness. Romans 10.3, Paul's talking, he says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness. So you have to just ask a question. He was talking about the Israelites here, but let's just move this to us. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Some say it's better not to know what the Bible says because you don't have to be responsible for it. It's like when the police officer goes, do you see that speeding sign, that speed limit sign? Well, why no, I didn't. You know, if it's not, well, it wasn't there, officer, that's our thing, but we, we want to justify our rules. And so we're ignorant of what righteousness to God means and we establish our own. We begin defining by our own context what righteousness is. Well, maybe you're a good tither and you're a giver, but maybe there's more to that. 
Maybe there's more when it comes to serving the, the person who is broken and needy. Maybe you're good at serving the broken and needy and your money you're tight with. There's somewhere in there that all of us, with all the things that we can talk about, are areas of our, our, that God's speaking to us to follow after his righteousness. And it says that they did not submit to God's righteousness. So really you just have to ask, who are you submitting to? Have you created your greatest of all time in your own life and you think that no one else can play the same game as you? Or are you that committed that you're going to go, I am going to seek after God's righteousness for my life. I'm going to let the Bible be my context and text and pretext to study and look at and understand how I'm supposed to live in this world and no one's going to sway me to the left or to the right. We can't just be Sunday morning Christians. And we can't certainly be going down the road wondering who's the greatest. I still love to say, I probably said this a million times in the church, old Candace song, if I claim to be a wise man, it surely means that I don't know. If I claim to be the greatest, there's probably not a lot of truth to that. 1 Corinthians 1.29 says this, that no flesh should glory in God's presence. No flesh, no person should glory in the presence of God. Do you get that? That means there is none of us that can go to heaven and go, Woo! I got this for you, God. When I was on earth, I did this and this. There is no one to glory in the God. What we glory in is that Jesus Christ suffered and died, was our replacement, took upon our, himself our sins, placed on us his righteousness, gave us complete relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father. We knew Jesus, we knew God, and therefore we stand holy before God. So when we go to heaven someday, we proclaim, Jesus, you are so good. Jesus, you are worth it all. Jesus, you're my all in all. You're my strength when I am weak. And so then when our urges to say how miserable I am gets taken away by how good God is, and in the end, how good we have it if you're a believer this morning. If you're someone that's questioning, believing, I just want to say to you that you don't have to do anything but place your faith on Jesus Christ. You don't have to be, I'm not saying it's not righteousness building, but I'm saying that you don't have to be in church every Sunday. You don't have to read your Bible every day. All these are good things, but placing your trust in Jesus Christ as your substitute, taking, he took your place on the cross to appease the wrath of God. God said there are none righteous, no, not one. There is not, apart from Jesus Christ, a goat in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of this world. So none of us, we stand before God, none of us should glory in his presence. We are but to be giving glory to God. In your troubles and your difficulties, and I know you have them, Giving glory to God is like a healing salve. 
posting crap on Facebook is not a healing salve. Once there's a story about a man who did who grew a business from nothing to many, many locations, millionaire many times over, gave his son the business, sent him to the right schools, whatever, gave his son the business. The son ran the business almost into the ground. The father came in, took over the business, turned it around. The son came up to his dad and like, Dad, why didn't you help me out? The father looked at his son and said, you never asked. I think some of us are like that kid in the kingdom or the kid in the business world where we fight so hard and we strive so hard that God has given us what we need to rest and find patience or joy in him, but we never take time to really spend time with him. I just say this past week, you know, I, I realized that I was guilty of that. I was absorbing all the stuff, but I was not taking it to the Father. In essence, I was running the business of being a believer into the ground in my own heart. This war was within me that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 38, it says, John said to, said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. But look at this. Because he was not following us. That's convicting right there. Jesus, look, they're not following us, so they can't be for us. And I, I, Christians do this all the time. If they're not following the way we exactly believe, then we can tend to trounce on other people. And Jesus' response was, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. True greatness doesn't mean that we're the greatest Christians. True greatness doesn't mean we have the best title. True greatness is that we are humble and we are servants and we are willing to do whatever is needed for the kingdom and we're willing to go to the Father in our times of need. Don't miss that. Don't rob the joy of going to the Father. Lord, Lord, I, I've been a train wreck. Lord, my mind is a train wreck. This, whatever it is, God, would you just come and would you speak to me and just get into the word? And he promises that he will be there to care for you. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is true greatness. Do I have it figured out? No. Do most of you all have it figured out? I'm going to guess, no. But I know 
a Father in heaven who wants to give us counsel. He wants to speak into the very men and women in this room and to begin to guide into his righteousness, his way, so that you don't run your work of being a kingdom person, an ambassador of Jesus' kingdom into the ground because you've never asked him. This morning is the humility of going to the Lord an active necessity in your life? Or are you more embarrassed to talk about to him what you really have been talking about? Remember what the disciples did? They went. They were talking about greatness. Jesus said, what are you talking about? They felt bad. He wants you to talk with him. Maybe you struggle with it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. There's a song that says that. I just remember singing as a kid. What a what a thing we often with forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Church, let's be a people who aren't arguing about greatness, but are serving because we know what greatness looks like. And let us be a people who are going to God in our needs and communing with him to hear from him. Please stand if you're able. So I'm just going to ask you this morning, where your mind conversations been? Where is your righteousness found? Where is your hope found? Where is your confidence found? The things of this world will crumble around you. There's only one thing that will last. This morning as we come to the table, we're celebrating the one thing, the one person, the one God who came down, gave of his life so that we could have a new life, a new heart, a new mind being renewed daily as we trust in him. Lord, as we come to the table, I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would not leave here without action. Lord, you know what each heart needs in this room. Lord, there might be hearts here to just need a relationship with you. And we just say, come boldly. Come boldly. He loves you. He come like a little child. He loves you. There's people who will pray with you up here. If you want to find rest in Jesus Christ, do it this morning. Maybe you haven't been finding rest. Maybe you just need to come to him like that son of the business and not be guilty of communing with the Father. Lord, we thank you for communion. We thank you that it's an opportunity to repent, to rejoice, to remember. And Lord, also just a chance to reset our lives this morning. Lord, we pray that we would be hearers of the word and doers of it as well. Holy Spirit, guide us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.